Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Rachel. Ian, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So far, so good for me. I haven't been injured yet today. I don't think the same can be said for you, though, which is common in your life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I've done exams, so like it's it's all roses right now. I'm so happy. <laughs> I said I was going to ask you this um, after your weekend. Do you remember your Friday night? Because if you do, again, I'm just I'm disappointed. You had, what, five exams and you got them all done in one week? Yeah, so... I remember Friday night, Saturday, the same can't be said. (laughs) Okay, all right. At least you had a bit of fun. Okay, you've earned it. Oh, yeah. It was Saturday night. It was fun. So we are going to get to our kind of build-a-bear version of an NHL player based on a bunch of different attributes, the whole build-your-own-hockey player based on, you know, whose vision do you want, who's passing, who's skating, whose shot do you want. Someone asked that in the mailbag last week. It was a fantastic question. But before we get to that, I think we need to address the Roman Yossi contract, which we didn't get a chance to discuss last week. I think it came out right after we finished recording. So what are your quick thoughts on it? Because it's a doozy. Yeah, I think, well, I think we can say that seven years at $4 million, which is the contract he's finishing now, was uh, a steal, to say the least. Him so, and Ryan Ellis were both on ridiculous contracts. Yeah, it's gross. What Even Eckholms is pretty much, all their players, they signed them like before <laughs> they hit their peak. Yeah. And I think it's smart. They sign them before they hit their peak and then expect them to grow into that. And I feel like a lot of the contracts that you see around the NHL right now, similar to what uh, Colorado signed Sam Girard to, I feel like it's just a smart way of betting on talent to develop in their young 20s. Yeah, and so Roman Yossi is eight years, 9.059 million. For those of you at home, he wears number 59. So, I mean, he's 29 years old. It's kind of important to point out that the first three years of the contract, it's basically all signing bonus money and a lot of signing bonus money. The fourth year is half bonus, half salary, and then years five to eight is all salary, no bonus. So it's kind of an interesting contract structure there. It might be because they may look to buy him out at the end of the contract. I don't really know. Um... I think it's a combination of he's still a very good defenseman, but this is also Nashville saying like, okay, you were an absolute steal on the first contract, so maybe give me a bit of an overpay here on the second contract um, to kind of even things out over the course of the career. Yeah, and I think we also need to admit that it has a full no-movement clause, so if he wants to stay there, he is in Nashville for the rest of his career. The player has negotiated for that, right? Good on him, but when it comes to Nashville's side of this, If he is no longer the player he was in his 20s, which is very likely as he enters his 30s, and on the back half of this deal, it looks really bad, they might just be stuck with one of the worst contracts in the NHL. But the whole point of this contract is that you're in your window right now. Can you win a cup in the next two or three years? It's similar to the Brett Burns contract, I want to say, in that I think the team's well aware of the fact that the back half of the deal doesn't look good, but you want to win right now. And and we're going to get to San Jose at the end of this podcast when we discuss what the hell is going on there. But when we're looking at Roman Yossi, it's tough because I don't think he's as good as a lot of people think he is. I think he's an explosive offensive defenseman who's fantastic with the puck on his stick. But when you look at the differential when he's on the ice versus when he's off the ice and the impact that he has at 5-on-5, are we sure that he is a top 10 defenseman in the NHL? Because personally, I can't get there. I don't think he's top 10, but I I certainly think he's a number one defenseman. Like, I think there's a lot of teams that would love to have Roman Yossi on their team, but I don't think he's in the same conversation as a Victor Hedman. See, personally, I'd rather have like a Jacob Slavin on my team than a Roman Yossi. Okay, so I think Jacob Slavin is a top 10 defenseman in the NHL, but I don't think that our opinion gets shared with uh, a lot of people who don't necessarily watch a ton of Carolina Hurricanes hockey. Well, I just also think that when he is the main feature on their power play, and they had one of the worst power plays in NHL history last year, doesn't that have to factor into this somehow? Yeah, I think it does, but I think when I'm evaluating a defenseman, the the power play portion of it is not as important as the playing defense part of it. I I completely agree, but when you look at the market value for these kind of things, power play points play play a huge factor. Just look at someone like Nikita Zaitsev. Oh, my God. And so many defensemen in this league can 
man the point at the blue line, walk the line, and make a quick pass to players on the wall. I honestly don't think it's that difficult of a task for a skilled defenseman to do. Yet we pay defensemen so much money based on the secondary assists that they pick up on the blue line. And I just don't think it's a smart way to evaluate defensemen. Okay, so one word answer. Contract. Is Nashville going to regret this? Yes or no? Yes. I, I don't think Roman Yossi's anywhere near as good as a lot of people think he is. And I think he's only going to get worse as this deal goes on. And... Again, it makes sense to hold on to him for now because you think that you're in a cup window and you don't want to lose your captain and arguably one of your best defensemen, but I'd make the argument that Matthias Ekholm is a better left-handed defenseman than Yossi. I'd make the argument that Ryan Ellis is a better defenseman than Roman Yossi. I'd rather save that $9 million and spend it elsewhere than commit it to Roman Yossi in his 30s, but I, I bet that that's a very unpopular opinion and everyone thinks that this guy's a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. Personally, I disagree, but... If that's what you think he is, obviously you want to hold on to him. I guess it just comes down to what you think of Roman Yossi as a player. So that was not one word, but very Sorry. good point by Ian. <laughs> I thought um, you meant like one like major takeaway. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll finish it up with one major thing. Um, all right, so we'll move to our build a player. So we got a question last week when we put the mailbag out. That was actually really interesting, and Ian and I decided we were going to make this a podcast. I mean, that usually happens. Um... But this is how it's going to work is this guy gave us a bunch of different categories. And the rules are we have to build your perfect hockey player from qualities of active players. Can't just pick Nick Lidstrom for everything. Yeah, exactly. Or Wayne Gretzky. Um, And you can't pick the same player twice. So if you pick them for, let's say, speed, you can't pick them for hockey sense. So you're going to have a bunch of different players. We will go down the categories. You know, it's kind of like you're playing a create a player and you have all these different categories and which player in the NHL do you want to have his passing, his shooting? So do you want to go through the, the categories real quick? Yeah, so I'll just read off the categories and then are you building a defenseman and I'm building a forward or are we both building forwards? I was going to build a defenseman to help shake things up. All right, so I'll build a forward and Ian will build a defenseman. The categories are hockey IQ, on ice vision, Passing, shooting, defensive awareness, speed, puck handling, leadership slash morale, intensity slash physicality, off-ice personality, and nickname. Ooh, that nickname category is an important one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of... It all comes down to that one, really. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a nickname. I think I've got a couple. All right, so who do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first for your your forward Build-A-Bear? I'll let you go first. So right. I do I have to pick from forwards and you have to pick from D or can we That's what I was going to do. I, I figured it would make sense for me to only pick from defensemen. I can't pick, you know, M- Connor McDavid to have the speed on my blue line cuz he's not a blue liner, you know? I feel like that's a fair Yeah. Okay. So the first one's hockey sense. Whew, this one's tough because in Drew Doughty's prime I might have taken Drew Doughty. But Again, I, with his athleticism kind of slowing down, it, it looks like he isn't the same player he once was. Hockey IQ on the blue line. I want just someone who's a really smart player. Maybe someone who hasn't relied on elite physical tools throughout his career to help make him a great player. So is there anyone that comes to mind right away for you? Because I'm just I'm struggling off the top with this one. I have some other categories that I have a one word answer that I know really well. But this is actually a tricky one for me. See, I think with hockey IQ, there's so many things. We have on-ice vision as the next category. So that's, I think, um, for me, like, I know who I have for that one. But I would say in terms of just ability, like, sense for the game, um, if it wasn't active players, I'd probably go with Marion Hosa. Okay. If, if it wasn't active players, I'd go with Nick Lidstrom. That'd be easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'd be so easy. I'm trying to think, though, who has some really good just general awareness? I would say, you know what? I'm going to go with Crosby. Crosby. Okay, but that, remember, that means you can't use him elsewhere. Oh, I'm and it's aware. funny because I need to figure out where I'm using Eric Carlson. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't use him for all of these. So for yeah. hockey IQ, I'm going to go with Ryan Suter. I feel like he's someone who never had the, the fastest you know, skating stride, was never the strongest player on the ice, but just has a knack for making good decisions, so I'll, I'll go with him. Okay, who on ice vision, I'll let you go first this time. All right, on ice vision, 
is kind of similar to hockey IQ, you know what I mean? In that they're both kind of intelligence things. They're not necessarily a raw physical trait or something that you can easily see. But this would be a good one to go with Eric Carlson, but I'm, I'm not going to go with Eric Carlson on this one. If we're just talking pure vision and ability to see things that other players don't, is John Klingberg a good choice for yes, this one? What do you that's think? a very good choice. <laughs> I like him because he... When he skates the puck out of his zone, he's not like a, a, a crazy powerful skater. He has great edge work in the offensive zone when he's kind of laterally working around the zone. But he makes these like s- subtle passes in the offensive zone that you don't think of it as a major pass going D to D. But when a lot of players would fire a puck through, he finds a way to get an, a teammate into open space. And it just results in, in chaos in the offensive zone and the other team scrambling around almost like it's a power play. I love watching Klingberg play. I'm going to go with On Ice Vision. Uh, we'll go Klingberg for me. Okay, I'm going to go with Mitch Marner. Um, I like that choice. Yeah, he just he does things that, and he sees things that other guys just they don't see. Like, I'll, I'll like sit. $11 million for his contract. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> um, I would say that with Marner, you would say, oh, like, make that play. And then a second and a half later, he makes a play that's, like, five times better. And you're like, actually, never mind. Just do your thing. Um, So I'll, I'll go with Marner for on ice vision. Okay. Passing. Again, I have to ask myself, is this where I use Eric Carlson? And I think this is where I'm going to use Eric Carlson. Okay. I wasn't sure because I was thinking about using Carlson for puck handling because of his ability to just cleanly gain the zone whenever he feels like it. Yeah, but he's such a good passer. And here's the main reason. Watching the playoffs this past year, when he was playing on one leg and he couldn't skate anymore, he was still a phenomenal puck mover because of his ridiculous passing ability. Do you remember that pass he made to Mark Stone in the playoffs in Ottawa? From behind his own net, he saucered it above the entire neutral zone trap. Wasn't that Mike Hoffman? Oh, or it did might have he been make Hoffman. another one? Because no, no, no. Sorry, it was Hoffman. It wasn't surprised. Stone. Sorry, it was Hoffman. But that, th- like the three line stretch pass, Ariel, it landed on Mike Hoffman's tape, and then he did the Forsberg to finish it. Can I just say something? Eric Carlson's been the best defenseman in the NHL ever since he won his first Norris, and we keep finding ways to give it to other players. He's the best defenseman I think we've seen since Bobby Orr, if not Nick Lidstrom. Like, I think he's in that category. Yeah, like, I think Lidstrom's probably better overall. I think that's fair, but I think Carlson's much better offensively, and he's kind of the Bobby Orr of our time. And for whatever reason, he's never got the respect he deserves. Maybe if his name was, you know, Eric... Smith. Yeah, Eric Smith, yeah, then, then people would like him. But because he's this Swede, we find ways to poke holes in his game. When we, we weren't doing this with Brian Leach, you know, he's just, he's a phenomenal talent. We should be happy that we got to see him in the league during his prime. So for passing, I think this one's pretty easy. Um, Joe Thornton. Like, yeah, I have never seen anything like the things that he can do. If you look at top 10 passes, Joe Thornton probably has five of them. And then there's, you've got Patrick Kane, who's a great passer as well. But- Henrik Sedin among like players who in the past I would think of, you know, maybe Peter Forsberg. Yep, but I just, for me, Joe Thornton, consistently, every year, you know this guy's probably getting 50 or 60 assists. Like Even at, how old is he? Is he 40 yet? I think he's like 39 or 40, yeah. Okay, but like even though he has no knees anymore, literally. Literally zero skate, knees. And he can't skate, he's still in third-line usage dominating opponents, or at least was last year and the year before that. This year, everyone in San Jose's off to a weird start. We'll talk about it, but Thornton's passing ability is just ridiculous. Uh, what are we doing next? Are we doing shooting next? Yeah, so here, you're going to have to help me with this one because I am now debating. Uh, if I were okay. you, I would pick Patrick Lane. Okay, Just in terms so, of pure shooting ability. But you're thinking Ovechkin, I got to think, right? I have three guys. Oh, Austin Matthews sneaking in there yes. too? Yes. Okay. I had Tarasenko in there just because if you watch his release, his wrists are dead. So they don't even snap and yet he just shoots the puck like a laser beam. Can I tell you why I would pick Patrick Lane? Yeah, because I think, like, Ovechkin's the most dangerous. I think he, well, he generates shot volume at 5-on-5 five five because of all the other traits he has. But then, but I think Lainey in terms of just his... He can't 
shoot at five on if we're just going shot then probably Lane. but if we're looking that's at- what i mean i'm like Lane doesn't have all these other attributes that you're gonna have but if we're just talking about his pure ability to when he's shooting beat a goaltender from distance how many guys in this league can beat a goaltender clean from let's say just below in, inside the blue line with like a one-time slap shot or a wrist shot I don't know how many players in the league can do it, but Patrick Lonnie's one of them. So I, I've always valued yeah. that about his game. I just think like with with Ovechkin and with Matthews, there's a a variety, right? Like Matthews has the catch and release, he has the one timer, he has just a straight up wrist shot. Ovechkin some has some nifty deflections. Yeah, Ovechkin has the most ridiculous one timer of our generation for sure. Um, and then. His wrist time. shot off the rush, but he can't shoot a backhand. I don't know what Patrick Laine's backhand looks like. Um, I don't think he knows what it looks like. He's just busy working on that, you know, curl and drag and snipe. Yeah, so I'm kind of torn. Can I have, like, a mix? Can I have Matthews catch and release Ovechkin's one-timer and Patrick Laine's wrist shot? I could say no to you, but that would sound mean. I'll, I'll let you go for it. I feel like though. those are the best attributes. Like, best. Okay, if you're doing yeah. that, then I'm picking a slap shot and I'm picking a wrist shot. Oh, 100%. Do it. Okay, so if I can have a slap shot, I'm taking Shea Weber. It's not close. <laughs> no brainer. It's it's absolutely not close because um, if you look at on the power play over the last few years, this is fascinating. If you look at what players are expected to score, how many goals they're expected to score based on their shot locations, and how many goals they've actually scored, uh, Shea Weber actually grades out as better than Ovechkin in his ability to outperform his shot metrics. He, He's a freak. Didn't he explode a guy's shin pad in the playoffs one year? I feel yeah. like I remember seeing that. And they have him shooting from the blue line every time, and it drives me nuts. I'm just thinking, put this guy in the Ovechkin spot. That's where you're supposed to put a generational shot, and they they won't do it. He's always playing high, closer to the blue line, and that's why their power play's been so inefficient, because they rely on low-percentage shots, kind of like an NBA offense designed around deep two-pointers. That's not efficient. But Weber's one-timer is absolutely nuts. If I'm thinking wrist shots, here's the thing. Does Brent Burns, does that count as a wrist shot? Is that a half slapper? I don't know what it is. I've, it's a not a slap shot, so we can count it. Okay. Whatever he does from the point. Yeah, whatever that <laughs> like, is. Like, is, is, is the, it doesn't come all the way up like a slap shot, but it, it's not on the ice the entire time like a wrist shot. It's kind of like a half clapper. His ability to get that thing through traffic, and it's got power on it. He's really good at aiming for sticks for deflections. He just, he probably shouldn't shoot it as often as he does from the point. But if I'm going to have a defenseman who is taking a shot from there, I'd love it to be Brent Burns. Okay. Now we get to, well, your most important one, and one that I'm debating in my brain, defensive awareness. Who do you have for defensive awareness on the back end? Uh, so this is one where like, I would have had someone like Mark Edward Vlasic or Chris Tanev a few years ago. I think I'm going to go with Nicholas Jalmerson. Oh, I was going to say, are you taking Lidstrom here? Because that's like a slam dunk. <laughs> I'll pick Lidstrom for almost all of these, except skating, you know. <laughs> but um, literally, just give me Nick Lidstrom. <laughs> that would just recreate the perfect human. That would be fantastic. But yeah, uh, when it comes to just pure defensive awareness, I think Nicholas Jalmerson isn't a great skater. Uh, he's he's strong, but he's not you know crazy strong like a Bufflin or like a Weber or a Chara. But he's just always in the right position. He's great at getting his stick in passing lanes. He's just. For someone who literally can't complete a breakout pass, his defensive impacts are off the charts. Like, when he's on the ice, the other team is not getting any scoring chances, and it's because he's arguably been the best defensive player in the NHL at his position over the last few years, and he never gets full appreciation for it. You know? Yeah, so, like you can see I'm, why Joel Quenville was pissed when Chicago traded him. For Connor Murphy, what are you doing? Yeah, I think that was more a cap thing, but you could see why Quenville was pissed. That was arguably his second best defenseman outside of Duncan Keith. And at the right time. now, he is much better than Duncan Keith. And yeah, right now, he would be Chicago's best defenseman. Yeah. Alrighty. Who are you going with on the defensive side of the puck? I'll tell you who would be in my consideration. I'm thinking Koivu, Koivu. Bergeron. Couturier was another one I was thinking. I was thinking even Mark Stone. Ooh, that's a great um, one. But if yeah, you got a lot of great ones to choose from. If we're talking like of the like of the past, I'm gonna use like my of the past one for puck handling. Um 
but I would say that's I'm, cheating, by the way. Just okay. throwing it out there. You know what? Fine. <laughs> I will say, um, I'll say Miko Koivu. I love that choice because he has the worst offensive tools of the players that you mentioned, and that's why he doesn't get Selkie consideration because he's not a 30-goal scorer. He's not a 60, 70, 80-point guy. But when we're talking about pure defense, Miko Koivu is fantastic. Agreed. All right, speed. This is a fun one for you. I'll let you go first. Okay, so I'm going hybrid. I am taking McDavid's acceleration and McKinnon's power. Because I think if you mix those two, you just might as well face off at center ice because nobody is going to be able to deal with that. I think. Can I tell you who I was thinking of picking if I had a forward that I had to pick just to. Because Barry Kapanen? I was going to pick Michael Grabner. Oh my God, yeah. Here's the thing just raw speed. He doesn't have the other things, but that guy gets like a breakaway every game. Okay, what about overall skating? So let's. We ha- For my speed one, I'm taking McDavid's acceleration with McKinnon's power because I think if McDavid had McKinnon's power he wouldn't get pushed off and potentially injured and if you combine that like just that would be ridiculous um but if you're talking about Jeff Skinner's edge work yeah I was gonna say like Jeff Skinner's edge work um who who are some of the best like just outright skaters I was thinking Crosby when I was thinking edge work, like Jeff Skinner, Crosby, uh, outright skaters, like 360 degrees for forwards. Yeah. I mean, probably these young guys that we see coming into the league, probably McDavid, honestly. Yeah, probably something similar to that. Okay, who are you taking for speed slash skating? You're going to love this one. Kale McCarr. Oh, hands down. 100%. Right. And he's like in his physical prime right now. Defensemen get better at uh, positionally getting in the, themselves in the right space as they enter their mid-20s. But when they're 19, 20, 21, they're at their fastest. And it's so fun to watch. And seeing Kale McCarr explode from behind his net, slice through a neutral zone trap, and then score on a breakaway, or, or, or at least get an odd man rush. That other night so where he just literally diced an entire neutral zone forecheck and yep. got a partial breakaway yep. was... That was an incredible display of skating. It's so fun to watch. And I could probably pick him for edge work too, because his edge work's fantastic. His acceleration's fantastic. His top speed is fantastic. Eric Carlson in his prime would have been a great one to go with. But Eric Carlson is no longer the skater he once was. That's what happens when you have a few leg injuries. Uh, Can I I give uh, a shout-out to my boy Travis Dermott and his edge work? Yeah, which was a main complaint of his in his OHL draft year. Is that he had but no edge work, and now it your hockey league name in our hockey fantasy pool, like our nerd pool, is Dermot's Edges. It sounds like it could be like a movie title or something, you know, Dermot's Edges, starring Ian Graff. <laughs> Ian Giraffe. Uh, Goss Despair is someone I also thought about for this. I, I love his edge work, and I love his little shiftiness, but... Yeah, just give me Kale McCarr. Give me all of Kale McCarr. Give me Kale McCarr like it were Kale chips, you know? Just I thought you were going to go, like, hybrid between McCarr and Quinn Hughes. Now I want to. I'll do that. All right. That's a fantastic idea. Quinn Hughes' edges are... Oh, he's so fun to watch. It's unbelievable. All right, puck handling. You're going first this time. Oh, see, this is where I wanted Carlson, but I had to pick him for one thing, and I'd rather have Eric Carlson's... Um, passing passing ability and his ability to break the puck out that way than his raw puck handling ability. This one, I think I might go with Roman Yossi. Okay. And I know that I talked about how I thought he was overrated, but this is the one thing you can clearly see when he has the puck. He's like a video game basically on defense. He's so fun to watch. He doesn't have the gap control that he should with his skating ability. There are a lot of elements of his game that I find frustrating, but if I'm thinking of a defense when I want to wheel from behind my own net, slice through a trap, and then generate some offense in the offensive zone, I think Roman Yossi might be the first person I think of. If it's just pure puck-carrying ability and, and speed up the ice, I like Roman Yossi doing that for me. Okay. Um, currently in the NHL, for me, it's, it's Patrick Kane. Um, and I was going to pick him too, even though I despise him as a human being. That yeah, dude's hands are unreal. the most absurd hands ever. Um, however, we would be remiss if we did not say that Pavel Datsuk is the best puck handler I have ever seen. And so if I could have that option, I would take Pavel Datsuk eight days of the week. 
Okay, question. Are Connor McDavid's hands in consideration here? Are Who else is someone with some fantastic hands? Um, Johnny Goudreau. Austin Matthews, Johnny Goudreau, are they in consideration I would here at say all? that Canes are just so far and away ridiculous. The things like, it's some of his shootout goals, like that just shouldn't even be allowed. And That's what my not- mom said when she watched it. She's like, well, why is that allowed? I'm like, well, no one else can do that. <laughs> and I would say that Pavel Datsuk, when you consider how he was on the defensive side, is just a step ahead of even Patrick Kane in terms of the things he could do. If you go to YouTube and look up the goals that Datsuk scored in the shootout or the goal he scored against St. Louis, um, where he literally just went directly through guys or he would do things, he would use the boards or there's a video of him with a kid and he's stick handling around the kid and the kid basically turns into a pretzel. Like this guy's hands, they were... They were something else. I remember when I was playing hockey, I would just watch Pavel Datsuk videos. Like, that's all I would do. All right, so we're moving on to the next one now. Man, I have no idea what to do with this one. Leadership slash you have morale here. But yeah, leadership. I don't know. I don't know these guys personally. Uh, who are you thinking in, in that department? I think that this one's, I think it's kind of tough. Um, Like, th- go around the league and... and look at captains like I'm, I'm kind of tempted to say Patrick Marlowe um oh yeah he showed real leadership last year when he refused to stop playing his uh his yeah, yeah, streak yeah. and just tank his performance throughout the rest of the season yeah that was great um like I have one for a D like for a defenseman I know probably who I would go with um and it would be Mark Giordano Oh, uh, that's a good one. I was thinking Petrangelo off the top of my head, but yeah, Mark Giordano's a great one. Plus, I love him as a defenseman, so let's give it to Gio. I will take Jonathan Taves. That's the one that everyone would take. I would take Patrice Bergeron. Or, maybe. yeah, I, okay, I, so he was the one I was kind of like, ooh. I don't think he ever gets enough credit for just what he brings to a team. Just watching the way that he plays every single shift, even if he never opened his mouth, just the way that he plays is infectious, and you can kind of see it throughout the rest of that team. You know what? You've changed my mind. I'm taking Patrice Bergeron. Whenever people would say, like, oh, I just I wish that that you had a a leader like Taves, and I'm thinking, do you think Bergeron has bad intangibles? I mean, this guy is... Do you remember that one time when Boston was losing in the playoffs, I want to say with 10 minutes left in the third period by a couple goals, and Claude Julien called timeout, and he didn't say a word because Patrice Bergeron was just yelling at the entire team for like 30 seconds, and then the timeout ended, and they went and took a face-off. And they didn't get back into that game, but if they did, man, that would have been some storybook-type stuff. And I hate the Bruins, but I can't help but love Patrice Bergeron. That's how likable of a player he is. I'm also adding a uh, category, which we will do after the next category. Um, intensity slash physicality. Sorry, I just saw her write it down on the Google Doc here, and I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, I can't believe this is a category. But, and you okay, also it, totally know who I'm taking. Okay, um, so intensity slash physicality. Okay, if it, physicality, just give me Chara. I feel like that's fair, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the guy is literally a train. You could give me Dustin Bufflin like, when he was I would playing. say, yeah, you know what? I'd almost probably take Dustin Bufflin. You could give me Colton Pareko, but the thing I like about Pareko is that he can skate the way he can at his size. I don't think it's his actual pure power that I love so much. So if we're just talking pure power, it's got to be Chara or Bufflin for me. Okay, so I'm torn. Because I could take like a Ryan Reeves, Milan Lucic type, or I could go with either one of the Kachucks. Okay, hold on. Are they... (laughs) Okay, intensity and physicality. I can see what you're going for because you don't want physicality that's necessarily going to knock someone out. You just want physicality that's going to help... Yeah, well, I mean, with Matthew Kachuk, you never know, but... He doesn't get suspended for, like, physicality, though. He gets suspended for, like, spearing people. Yeah. That doesn't count. (laughs) Stick infraction suspensions don't count. All right. Physicality. I think I might have to go with the Kachuk brothers, because they're just, like... If I were you, I'd uh, pick Tom Wilson. Or, yeah, okay. Or Tom... mm, Okay, but I don't like his physicality if I'm building a player, because he is over the line for Because you might miss 20 games one year. (laughs) Yeah. Matthew Kachuk doesn't get suspended for elbowing dudes in the head. He gets suspended for spearing people. What if you went with something like Prime Kopitar? Like, he, he didn't knock people out, but he used his physicality to just own the puck all the time. Or even... Like, even late, late career Gary Roberts, right? 
I I just you'll you're not going to hear me complain about Gary Roberts. That guy's a freak. Yeah, but he, he he'd be my leadership guy because he'd get everyone in the gym every day. Because that guy's like a personal trainer now. See, if I hadn't used Crosby, I'd use it here because when he is protecting the puck, good luck with that one. Okay, now time for the category that uh, Rachel added. Thanks a lot. So we're going with Kachuk. For physicality, you're going with the Kachuks. And you're going with Chara or Bufflin? Uh, Give me Bufflin. Give me Bufflin. I hope we see him back in the league sometime soon. It sounds like he might want to play. Yeah. All right. Ian, what's the next category? You think we need a pest category. I think this is stupid. I think we need a pest category. Who am I taking for my pest category? You're probably picking Brad Marchand. You got it. Even though I'd argue Matthew Kachuk's better at it. Yeah, but I just took him. I think Marchand is a bit too dumb about it sometimes, whereas I feel like Kachuk is much smarter at walking that line and ends up drawing more penalties for his team. Yeah, see, I just... I absolutely despise what Brad Marchand does, but if he were on my team, it's brilliant. Okay. Like, it's just brilliant. Who's a pest on defense? Who even comes to mind for you? I'm really struggling coming up with anything. Drew Doughty. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm going with Drew Doughty and, like, the infinite amount of salt that he plays with in his Oh, game. the level of oh. sodium is so high. He doesn't need any Gatorade. He's fine. <laughs> I have such a good one for the next category for you. Like, it's such a no-brainer. Also, with Drew Doughty's quotes that he's put out recently, I'm convinced that, that he thinks it's, like, 2013. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, I think he thinks that he's the same player he was when he was a Norris winner, and I think he thinks that the Kings that they have right now are a championship-level team, and he thinks that he's better than Matthew Kachuk, and he thinks that their team's way better th- than the Canucks, and I'm like, dude, look in the mirror. Like, no, that's just not true. Yeah, I don't think so. And I will say that Drew Doughty's been one of my favorite players over the last 10 years, but I think he's kind of stuck in the past a little bit. And I, I'd imagine that a lot of hockey players are. It's just, it's natural when you're used to dominating for so long and then your body starts quitting on you. It's it's hard to adapt. Agreed. Um. Okay. All right, what's the next category here? Off-ice personality. Yes, I can pick P.K. Subban. I was going to say, Let's it's go. like not even close. Yes. Oh, that's a good category for me. Unlike the rest of the NHL, my per- my my defenseman will be marketable. Ah, so yes. I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. I I'm tempted to go Tyler Sagan. Because he's freakishly good looking? No, because he actually will be a part of like marketing schemes. No one really has a quick whip tongue for a four ah, Max Domi, actually. You know what? Never mind. I'm gonna take Max Domi. I will say that when the Leafs play Max Domi, the amount of hate that Leafs fans have for Max Domi it's just, I love it because it makes that rivalry mean more, you know? Because if there's pure emotion in, in a rivalry, people are going to care a lot more about it. Uh, my number two to P.K. Subban, by the way, would be Nate Schmidt. Oh, yeah, he's, but he also got suspended for PEDs, so. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not like he hurt anybody, you know? It's not like he's a bad person. He just, you know, he crosses the line a little bit sometimes. Actually, can I, can I, can I change my Domi one? Go for it. Who do you think? Patrick Laine. Oh, interesting. I like he it. He is like so it. sassy. I love it. They ask him, he's like, yeah, I play video games. Yeah, no, we'll go with Line A because I like his video game comments. I like his just nonchalance in the media. Do you like how he murdered Brian Little through the, in the media? <laughs> oh my god. I, see, I love that stuff, though. Like, do it more. That, but I don't think you want your teammates to be thro- calling out their teammates in the media. Okay, yeah, maybe to not. Be fair. All right, for nickname... I can only think of one that comes to mind that's actually a good nickname right now in the NHL. I'm thinking Pickles for Vlasic. That's a good one. Um, and here's the thing. His game is uh, falling off of a cliff over the last couple seasons. And when we get to San Jose, he's going to be a big part of the reason I think they're struggling. So right I now. feel like we can make an exception here and go with, like, it doesn't have to be an active player. Because there's no entertaining nicknames anymore. It's like everything is just I-E at the end. So I feel like this should be our one where we can go, like, big time throwback. What do you think? Sid the Kid's not a bad nickname. Yeah, Sid the Kid was good. Super Mario is good. Um, Mr. Hockey is just an unbelievable nickname. Love that one. Um, even Grapes is a good nickname. Ooh, I'm it's trying stupid, to think. But... 
The Bulin Wall. I know that's just like a random one, but I really like that one. Gump Worsley. That's a good one. Um, oh, Rocket Richard has got to be the classic, oh, right? Yeah. Of course, I'm going to be biased to that one, but I think my favorite, and it might just be because like I had the pleasure of seeing this guy almost every day, is Chico Resch. I love the name Chico. Like it's just so, and it matches him so well. He's just Wait, so who is bubbly. That? I don't know who that is. So Glenn Resch used to be um, a goaltender with the New York Islanders, um, and he got the nickname Chico, and now he's the New Jersey Devils color guy on the radio so he's like uh jim ralph would be the equivalent for the leafs kind of thing okay um yeah and chico was one of my favorite people in the new jersey's organization he's just he's so awesome and i mean i'm not gonna lie when i'm in new jersey next week i'm i'm really excited to see him chico resh yeah chico i did not know about but i've uh, i've googled it and that is a real person he is and he's great he is great. Also, the King is a pretty good nickname. Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, okay. I was like, who's the King? But okay, yeah. Ghost Bear. Ghost Bear is a great nickname. Remember when that was like big on the internet back in his rookie season? Yeah, my nickname is uh, Pickles is the only decent nickname I think that still exists in the NHL. Okay. Yeah, I don't have. There's no forward nicknames. Like, there's not any good ones at least. No, because everyone's just like there's no creativity now. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Sparksy. Hey, thisy. Mitchie. Hey, thatty. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, come on. Or they'll just shorten it and throw an S at the end of it. And Actually, like, that's, that's... there is a good nickname. Alien. Oh, for uh, Pedersen? Yes. So is that because he's lanky and he looks kind of weird? I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it could be just the fact that he has literal alien skill. Well, he's also like six foot two and 110 pounds. But no, what is he, 160, 170? But I think he's like 165. He's, okay, soaking wet, yeah. He needs to eat some Nutella. And he gets so much power on his slap shot, which is what I tell people when they complain that they don't have enough muscles to have a good shot. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, it's technique. It's not. It's all about leverage and, and shifting your weight properly. It has nothing to do with how strong you are. Alrighty, so that is our Build-A-Player. Let's go to the mailbag. Quick question. One word answer, Ian. One actual word, okay. One actual word. If you could be a beat writer for one team, what team would it be? Toronto. Carolina. Ooh, that would be fun. I just, I, I, I've, I've embraced the craziness in this city. Yeah. I like Carolina right now, especially. They're so much fun. They do the storm surge. Sign me up. I'm there. And they have Rod Brindamore, who's a great personality. So that's that. Alrighty. Rod the bud. Ian, what is happening in Tampa Bay right now? That's a great question. Uh, I don't have an answer. I can tell you that they haven't been playing great. Oh, that's an understatement. Are the underlying numbers bad? Eh, depends on your definition. Yeah, I mean, compared to what Tampa should be, yes, they're bad. Yes, they're they're getting slightly outshot, slightly outchanced. Like it's it's like forty nine percent, like close to fifty. And they were a team last year. I want to say they were in the 52-53 range. They don't need to be the best team in the NHL when it comes to out-shooting you and out-chancing you at 5-5 five and five to be the best team in the NHL because they have scorers who can beat goalies from distance. They have an elite power play. They have elite goaltending. They have factors in their team that are going to make them excellent despite the not-the-greatest-shot metrics. But when you have all that talent in your roster, you can't be getting out-shot on a consistent basis. No. No. You can't. Especially and against, like, bad teams. And I'm like, wait, are you just not trying? Or are there some weird problems here that we should be discussing? I'm wondering if they're trying not to go full tilt in the first month or two of the season the way that they did last year, knowing that the regular season is a marathon, not a sprint, and they want to make sure that they're optimizing their performance come playoff time. So I can understand when a team puts everything into a regular season and then gets disappointed in the playoffs, and then the next season they don't take that regular season as seriously. The Golden State Warriors we've seen do that, you know, that year when they went really hard to get 73 wins, but they ended up losing the championship to so LeBron. So here's an alarming statistic. Andre Vasilevsky has a save percentage of 904. Is that alarming? That sounds about right in that uh, it should be higher. 15 percentage points lower than last year. 
Yeah, and that's my point. I like I I I believe that because they haven't been saving as many pucks as they did last year, but I have reason to believe that that's going to increase as the season goes on because he's proven to be a much better goalie than that. He so. has never in his career had a season under 9.10 and he's at 9.04. So, if if anything, that's more reason for optimism because that's obviously going to improve. Is it though? Cuz he has not looked very good. Like I yeah, don't know but it's, what's it's going on. It's one month into a season. We're talking about goalies. Goalies are voodoo. I mean, they are voodoo. You are one, so... Yeah, but if, you, if you're telling me, should I be worried about one month of a goaltender compared to four or five years of a goaltender, I'm always going to say no. Of course. Trust the larger sample. So with Vasilevsky, until he proves he's anything other than a top five, top ten goaltender in the world, I'm going to trust that he's going to regress back to that throughout the course of a larger sample. That's just, I feel, the safest way to make bets. Nikita Kucherov only has four goals. He's not even a point a game, so that's got to be a little concerning. From what I understand, their power play hasn't been all that good so considering yeah considering the fact that they can boast a power play of victor hedman steven stamkos nikita kutrov braden point and and whoever guy. You, <laughs> yeah and a dude like that's not acceptable you have to score on the power play uh steven stamkos is a point a game um so that's not as bad but if I'm Tampa Bay, I've got to be pretty uh, pretty perturbed by kind of what I'm seeing because I get like, okay, our individuals aren't playing as well, but when my power play looks the way that it does right now, which hasn't been very good, I don't think they're generating that many scoring chances, certainly not compared to last year. Um, that's something that's concerning because that has a potential to drag on. At the same time, if I told you a month from now that Tampa Bay finished November with the best goal, or the, let's say, a top five goal differential in the NHL, I don't think that would shock you. It just sounds like the kind of team they are. So, I don't know. I'm always worried taking too much out of a small sample, but we are 15 games into the regular season. I think 13 for Tampa Bay. So we're th- Yeah, Tampa's played 13. They're 6-5-2. and two. Okay, so we're 13 games into the regular season. This is a bit of a trend right now, and it's concerning, but we have reason to believe that Vasilevsky is going to play better. Um, that power play is going to start oh, scoring soon, to. right? Like, there's just no way they, they won't. It's just they're too good to not score. The things that are concerning are all the, the aspects at 5-on-5, five five, the repeatable components of you know driving play. That's a concern. That's a big-time concern for me, and I'm not sure if it's an effort thing. I don't know if it's a systems thing, but... Well, Tampa's so Tampa's power play is... 10th in the league right now and I would argue that teams like Toronto and Tampa Bay and Boston who have all of these skills should be top five and Boston's number one right now so there's that their power play is almost 33 percent because David Pasternak is doing things I don't think he's gonna keep shooting whatever percent he's shooting right now like 20 25 like that's he's gonna cool off eventually yeah right? he right? has to he has to Maybe he won't. He's just too and, good. And uh, their penalty kill <laughs> of bigger concern is uh, 27th Tampa. See, I never know what to take out of penalty kill because that stuff isn't very repeatable at the 82-game level. So, I mean, after 13 yeah, games, I'm not sure tough, what to make but of the penalty obviously, kill, to be honest. If, I mean, statistics would show that if your specialty teams are no good, then you don't have a ton of success in the regular season, right? So that's yeah. That's just the, descriptively. You're not going to get the points. Um, and they're 17th in goals for like that's not like Tampa Bay. Um, I'd be curious to see sort of what their scoring chances are relative to what they're giving up, because you you kind of expect Tampa to be that juggernaut where they're at least scoring or generating. Um, but I don't I don't know. I mean, I definitely see that there's. Tampa's going to turn it on at some point, for sure. Um, because they'll they'll kick into gear, and I think that this notion that John Cooper's on the hot seat, I don't think there's a whole lot of truth to that. Um, I don't think he should be. I mean, after his body of work, what he's done over the last few years, it's... Then again, I feel like after getting swept in the playoffs, I think that there's a lot more heat on him than there normally would have been. Oh, of course. He can't have a performance like that again this year. But I would say, like, okay, if John Cooper gets fired, how many teams would consider finding their coach to hire them, to hire a Cooper. Uh, Toronto might. Like at least <laughs> 23 or 4? 
I know if you look statistically at uh, Micah Blake McCurdy, he tries to uh, account for coaching in his latest model. And from what I saw, John Cooper had the biggest impact of any coach in the NHL. That is not surprising so, at all. Just something to, I mean, these models aren't perfect, but the fact that it indicated that he was the best and like some other great coaches, like Barry Trotz was up there, Bruce Boudreau was up there, you know what I'm thinking? Yeah, that sounds about right. Like when John Cooper got hired in Tampa Bay, all of a sudden they became one of the best teams in the NHL and they've consistently been that and he gets the most out of his players. This year he has not. And I can understand why his job might not be as secure as it has been in, in years past. Okay, so from one disappointing team to another, what's to blame for San Jose's bad start? Their goaltending or the fact that all of their core is aging? I think that age curves is a bigger podcast in general where we can talk about that, but specific to San Jose, what do you think is the problem? Okay, so remember when we said that I, I wasn't as worried about Tampa Bay because I still think that they're, the power play is going to improve and the goaltending is going to improve and a lot of that factors that we should expect to improve should improve. With San Jose, the way that they won games last year was by living in the offensive zone, dominating shots, scoring chances, expected goals, any metric you can think of. At the team level, they were number one or two or three in the league. They were right around Vegas and Carolina in those regards. Those teams were all living in the offensive zone. Ian, San Jose's save percentage is 881. Okay, that's bad. Oh my god. That's really, really bad. That's that's that is really bad. Okay, there's no way it stays that bad. So that's gonna it can't. That's gonna come up a it, little it bit. Can't. But it, oh my they're God, below it average to. in shot share. They're well below average in expected goals. Which expected goals were a bit wonky in the first two weeks of the season because long story short, the data was kind of buggered up. It's been corrected in the last two weeks of expected goals data and and everything after I think October seventeenth. Okay, so they're the data expected. Is good. Yeah, but so expected been goals terrible for expected three goals. even. Expected goals against is four and a half. And then you have actual, they have an actual goals for goals against at five on five differential of minus 21. And they've only played 15 games. Yeah, it's, that's, that's ungood when you're giving up more than one goal per game at even strength. You're not going to win a lot of games when that happens. Yeah, you can't be more than minus one I per game. I think the like, biggest culprit... Is... The biggest culprit, in my opinion, is that uh, Mark Edward Vlasic right now is getting a ton of minutes. They, they really ride their top four, and, and you can't blame them when you have Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. The problem is that Brendan Dillon has been good. He's been a top four, you know, capable partner for Eric Carlson. That's all you really need. Yeah, he's need. almost almost killed, like, three people in the last week, though. Okay, but my po- <laughs> greater point is that he's good at hockey. Mark Edward Vlasic, at this point in his career, I just don't think he's a... Definitely not a top four defenseman anymore. I'm not sure if he could have success on a bottom pairing or not, but when right, he's so on the Burns ice, the Sharks Carlson are getting crushed. are playing 25 and 26 minutes each, and then Vlasic and Dylan are playing 21 almost minutes each. So yeah. and if we they're look at, really riding their top four. If we look at shots and chances, you know, Eric Carlson is at least in the offensive zone more often than he's not, whereas Brent Burns isn't. When, Bre- when Burns and Vlasic are together, they're just getting killed at even strength, and that's not a good thing. Uh, I know the Patrick Marlowe redemption story is great and all, but the Sharks are getting absolutely, completely hemmed in when he's on the ice, much like when he was in Toronto. I just don't think Patrick Marlowe is an NHL player anymore. I know that he's got a bit of luck in the shooting percentage department, but sooner or later that's going to wear off and we're, we're going to see the fact that, unfortunately, Patrick Marlowe just don't think has it anymore. Uh, the forwards have been a bit disappointing. I think they expected more from Players like Thomas Hurdle at this point, they've expected more from players more from like... Logan Couture, Timo Meyer, who are both 44% possession, which is not acceptable. Why did they get rid of Joel Pavelski, but not, you know, at Mark Edward Vlasic? I think allocating that money to Vlasic was a big mistake, and they should have saved that money for someone like Pavelski who actually deserves it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can't answer that, but I would say one of the big ones is, so Brendan Dillon's possession is 54%, and Vlasic, who is his D partner, is 41. Like, that's no, a Dil- Dylan's big been playing, discrepancy. Dylan's been playing more with Carlson this year, and uh, Vlasic's been playing more with Burns. I'm not sure if they've changed it up for the latest game, so maybe on uh, Daily Faceoff it's listed differently, but... That's literally what I check, so if it's that way, I mean, I don't stay up until... 12 o'clock at night watching the San Jose Sharks play. Hey, I mean, I'm not sure if Sharks fans want to right now. It's been disappointing. This team should be a cup contender, but 
then again, maybe the loss of Joel Pavelski is bigger than you think it is, and they didn't address their goaltending concerns, and their goaltending still sucks. So I mean, even you look at it, like, Evander Kane's been good. Thomas Hurdle's actually a, almost a point a game. No surprise that Eric Carlson's been good. Kevin LeBanc's been pretty good. I mean, relative to his contract, it's ridiculous. Um, Timo Meyer needs to have more than four points. That's not acceptable. Team is sh- also shooting like 3% was on the ice at five on five. So I have to think that's going to, you know, more than double, maybe triple. Oh yeah. That that's going to regress to the mean, but I just think like, I think their goaltending will get better. I don't think it's going to go back to nine twenty or nine ten even. I would think they'd be lucky to get league average at nine Oh five. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Martin Jones for the longest time wasn't like nine fifteen kind of goalie. Right. But I know there's this argument about Eric Carlson coming to a team and the save percentage dropping, and I know that that was something that Tyler Dello talked about in the past, and he got a lot of flack in the analytics community for it because there's no, you know, discernible proof at this point that players can impact save percentage. But ooh, man, I'm starting to think that that you know having Brett Burns and Eric Carlson on your team playing big minutes, I, I think you're going to give up a lot of odd man rushes. You know those cross ice passes. I think maybe things that we can't account for in the data are happening with San Jose right now, and it's resulted in Martin Jones just not being the same goaltender he was last year, or two years ago, I should say. Agreed. All right, so that's our mailbag. Really positive, uplifting mailbag. <laughs> yeah, no, we were completely positive. Tell me the best thing that's going to happen to you this week, Ian. The best thing that's going to happen to me this week. What uh, are you doing that you're excited about? Oh, I was going to say, it's whatever Travis Dermott does when he gets more than 12 minutes a night, but... Am I going to be doing anything? <laughs> Sorry, that's an easy shot to make. Am I doing anything I mean, of value this week? I don't think I am. I don't think I have anything. On the bright side, TFC is in the MLS Cup final for the third time in four years because that team actually knows what it's doing. I mean, I miss Sebastian Javinko. I, I really do. Oh my do. god, don't even get me started. I whole ass cried when he was leaving. Ugh. But his replacement has been really good. And is uh, Josie Altidore still there? He's there and he's injured and... They, mm, it's not looking great in terms of his ability to play in the cup final. So, see how that one goes. Uh, um, and quick basketball update: Pascal Siakam is crushing it on the Raptors as their new number one option. I love watching the growth in his game. He's like a little baby Giannis. He's freakishly athletic despite having these crazy long limbs. Fun basketball player. Fun times in Toronto despite the fact that Kawhi isn't here. I'm a big basketball fan, by the way. Yeah, if you're a fan of the basketball team in Toronto or the soccer team in Toronto, you are having a ton of fun right now. I mean, everyone else is out. Yeah, I'm I'm having a ton of fun um, with TFC right now. I mean, how can you not? But that's that. So I'm excited about that on uh, Sunday. And I'm sure if they win, uh, I will not have a voice on Monday. I probably won't even be here on Monday. So uh we'll see we'll do a graph and graph podcast i'll just talk to myself for an hour it's all good oh good i can't i'm sure everyone's very excited about that definitely not (laughs) Alrighty. well have a great week everyone enjoy your tuesday wednesday thursday friday and weekend yep and we'll see you next week cheers everybody thank you for listening to the staff and graph podcast You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and The Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.